That's uh, and I have a lot of band. Like I'm a see, I got my like my Pink Floyd. I'm representing. I got the whole thing on. Um, I made I made some batches for our screenings. That is a drawing that um, Storms Illustrator did of a cat with a dog mask because oh. our production company is called a cat called Rover, and I've been putting them out, and, and people are just grabbing all of them, oh. <laughs> like not not taking one, you know, but these classic one inch badges yeah. like you got on. It's so good, dude. I, I didn't realize how much. I mean, I started like it's one of those things where you don't realize you have a collection until somebody's like, are you OK? And you're like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I, I yeah. started to have them. And then, um, you know, I just had, you know, the denim jacket that I used to wear every now and again. And then I started doing this and I was like, oh, it kind of looks cool to have like a few on because I'm a big I love Vonnegut. And I was like, I got my friend got me that. And then uh, and then I just started throwing them all over the jacket. And now I can't get through airport security. So. <laughs> <laughs> very cool that's my uh, yeah that's my that's my Good. troubles yeah great yeah so so you're in new york right now are you a um you and how was the premiere by the way i'm so sorry i did not get to make it but that was my own fault so oh yeah yeah i'm in new, i'm based in new york I just, i'm a oh, little great. delirious because uh just was in hawaii for three weeks visiting my father mm. and oh, took a red eye red eye didn't get much sleep because the airlines, as they are doing now, just you know, filling the planes and getting rid of direct flights. And right. So didn't didn't sleep much, and then literally got in the morning, uh, the night of the premiere, and uh, the night before, and I didn't sleep that night because I woke up in the middle, you know, thinking about what I should say. Uh, but the premiere <laughs> premiere was great. I mean, it was you know sold out screening Beautiful. at the Quad. Yeah. Uh, the audience response was phenomenal. We had a Q and A. Um, with a very old friend of mine who I hadn't seen in about 25 years or something. Wow. And literally, you know, he he's, comes up with a microphone and he's about to ask the first question. He says, I've seen a lot of rock music documentaries, but never one so revealing. And he teared up. Oh, <laughs> I was like, beautiful. While I was, while I was looking at him and I was like, what, what do I do now? You know, and I started tearing <laughs> up. Uh, but, you know, and the audience it, is like, what the, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's the film seems to have touched a chord, you know, I, I mean, it seems to be a real kind of, uh, you know, across the board response is kind of emotional reaction to it. You know, I think it's, 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 it's working on a certain level, but it was, you know, the Q's and Q and A's were great. Mm. We had a great screening on Saturday night. Uh, one of the producers on the film, Orion Williams, uh, was there for all the Q and A's with me. We also did one Sunday. Um, and you know, Orion's great. You know, he, mm -hmm. he helped a lot on the film and tells this great story about Pete Townsend, uh, and how he got in the movie. Nice. And then Sunday we did a Q and A with a third person, a, a sound designer, Brian Emmerich, who mm -hmm. did some of the sound work on it. So it was, you know, he, of course, the first thing he said was, it was too low. All the work I did, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, very very good vibe. You know, really all around great. And the quad just messaged us today that they extended the run already. Oh, so dude! Gonna be Congratulations! Week. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. that's fantastic. I'm really happy man. about that. Um, 
that was one of the things I wanted to ask you is how you wound up going about getting people in the film. But I'll get back to that in a second. I kind of want to go back a little bit more. I mean, I did get to watch it because uh, Carol sent me was nice enough to send me a preview of it. It is a beautiful, beautiful film. And I'm a huge music documentary guy. Like, I can't get enough of that kind of uh, thing. And it makes me one of the things I, I kind of judge those documentaries on is uh, if I'm kind of like any movie where you're taken into it. But if I desperately wish I was there by the end, it like, but, but when it ended, I was like, man, if I could have been actually in that place in that time, I would be happy if I go back in time and hang with those people and, and just kind of experience that, even just as a fly on the wall, how did you go about like, I mean, is that kind of, what you felt going into this, is that why you were so passionate about making this in the first place? Do you feel that connection to it? Like, what was the impetus to do it? You know, I'd done a film with Storm Thorgerson, yeah. who I've given a co-director credit. And Storm had the design company Hypnosis in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Storm, uh, but um, a friend of mine was very good friends with this illustrator and basically said, oh, I've been in... London and uh, with my visiting my friend Dan and I was at Storm Thorgerson's studio and I said I said who is that some Finnish black metal singer or, <laughs> you know Storm Thorgerson and what you know and he said oh no he had the he had the company hypnosis in the 60s and 70s they did mm-hmm. record covers I said oh of course you know I, I had you know the Zeppelin stuff and the Pink Floyd yeah, and yeah. Sabbath stuff and I would you know I used to be obsessed with those the the you know the the name on the back of the liner notes because they spelled the company differently sometimes it was I mean, they're probably typos yeah, yeah sometimes it was H Y P sometimes it was you know it was H I P and right. I was like who is this, who is this company but um, but anyways the, you know my friend had told me that they had just shot a cover where Storm rented a bulldozer and they dug out the sand in a beach in Devon in England. Okay. And they built these steps down and they climbed up on a ladder and took a photograph. And I thought, wow, that is insane. Why would, why would they do that <laughs> right. now? Uh, and so I kind of got fixated on that image, you know, that, that he was still working like that. I was still making films in 16 millimeter movie film. Okay. Wow. Uh, you know, which I, which I love that sort of quality as digital was coming in sure. big vinyl record collector. Um, nice. You know, I resisted buying CDs for many, many years, but I've still got a big vinyl record click collection. So, Same. you know, I was, I was thinking about that. I couldn't, I couldn't shake that image. And so I bought a book online called walk away. Renee long been Ooh. out of print, but it was about, um, you know, hypnosis work in the seventies. Okay. And it, when it showed up, I flipped through it. And I freaked out how many covers they had done that I that I'd had. Wow. And I was like, who's this guy who shaped my teen psyche? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and so, you know, it was a couple, you know, all those different strands that I was thinking about. And I was working on a narrative script. I was about to try and go into production. And I sort of shelved that. Mm-hmm. I started shooting email after email to Storm. He didn't respond to any of them. Uh, I think maybe it was the seventh one. You know, I wrote a story about seeing Pink Floyd. Mm. Uh, it was the first concert I ever went to. Literally, it was uh, the Animals Tour, Anaheim Stadium in California. Wow. My my dad took my friend and I and his VW Bug, dropped us off in the parking lot, oh said, I'll, I'll see you here in 11 hours. You know, like <laughs> like row, I don't know, row 12, section G. I mean, it's the 70s, right? You yeah, know, yeah. Like, so, um, you know, so I wrote storm the story about going to the show and that that was the the thing he responded to and he wrote back 
this three line note just said, I mean, it bees on holiday sounds interesting doing mm. a talk at BAFTA want to come. Wow. And so, you know, that's a whole other week long story, but I ended up doing a film with him over about two and a half years and we became quite close. That's awesome. Um, and it was amazing, you know, at a certain point, then he said, what musicians you want? So I, you know, interviewed Robert Plant, David Gilmour, you know, uh, Steve Miller, uh, Dominic from Muse, oh my God, uh, dude. Cedric from the Mars Volta, the Cranberries. I mean, it just wow. mushroomed into this whole other thing. And we, we were screening the film in Los Angeles and um, Rob Dickinson, who's the singer of this band, Catherine Wheel, that Storm had done a lot of designs for. Right lives in LA. And he said to Storm, he said, Storm, Roddy should do the film about Sid Barrett, the proper film that hasn't been done yet. Oh. And, and the next morning of her breakfast, um, you know, Storm was eating his toast and his eggs and he looked over at me and he said, what do you know about Sid Barrett, Roddy? Tell me truthfully. And, uh, you know, I stopped mid bite of my eggs and I said, you know, Storm, when I was in high school, I mean, when I was in college, I was in a band. I was in a band since high school, but I right. was in a band in college. And the bass player loved Piper at the Gates of Dawn, uh, the first Floyd album. Wow. And we would try and learn the songs and we would could never figure them out. <laughs> and so I said, so my first memory is utter frustration as a kind of <laughs> mediocre musician. Uh, and then I told him, I said, you know, and I also love the lyrics of the solo albums. I thought they were quite lyrical and, and poetic mm -hmm. and storm, you know, storm just leaned over completely nonchalantly without, you know, stopping to, to swallow and said, Hmm, maybe you are the one. Ooh. And so, uh, he's, you know, he said, um, if you want to do a film about Sid Barrett, I grew up with everybody. I'll, I'll produce it. You can direct it. Uh, and I said to Storm, I looked at him, I said, Storm, I love you dearly, but I need a few months off from you <laughs> uh, after, after these, you know, two and a half, three years. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I went away that summer on holiday and I bought the main biographies of Sid. There's, there's about three or four books about him. Mm -hmm. And I bought the DVDs of the films and I sort of took them on holiday with me and I read through all of them and, and watched them. And I thought there was a, a film that could be done. You know, I didn't nice. think, you know, uh, besides the fact that no one really knew what happened to him. Right. I just thought, you know, they were pretty, you know, kind of on the surface. Yeah. And so I came back to storm and I said, storm, I know you don't know my other films, but the fact that no one knows what happened to Sid over 22 years, I think is a dramatic premise. Yeah. And so I'm in, um, and so we were in Berlin. We had a, he had an exhibition in Berlin, and I was there. They screened my movie on him, and uh, we sat around with Dan, his illustrator, and we wrote out a two-page outline of who we want to interview, uh, also what stories we wanted to dispel or prove and confirm. Um, and then I was sitting at home. This is classic storm phone call. I mean, you never knew, you know, what would happen. <laughs> You know, the form, phone could ring and Storm could be there and he'd be like, Roddy, uh, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I, nothing. And he'd be like, can you get me 2,000 teddy bears by Friday? <laughs> you know, that, that, kind of, right. that kind of call. But so one day my phone rang and it was Storm. And he said, hey, Roddy, where are you? And I said, I'm in New York, Storm. And he said, I'm in Los Angeles. We're starting the Sid film. Are you coming? And I said, what's wow. Storm? I'm, in, I'm at home. And he said, okay. And um, 
what I realized uh, a little bit later was that Storm had had colon cancer that had gone into remission. Oh, wow. And it was returning. And so, you know, I talk about the film that was kind of a sprint and then a marathon. And now it seems like it's a sprint again, you know, with the release and everything. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I realized uh, and this, you know, at first, you know, Storm was a character. So I was watching some of the interviews he was sending to me from England and he was talking over everybody. You know, someone someone would tell a story and he'd just like, blah, 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 just talk about whatever he wanted to. Right. And I realized after a few of these, that and here's the thing about that, right? No, I'm just gonna go. Ahead. Yep. <laughs> I'm just fucking around. Oh, I was, I was, hey, I was gonna go with it. Uh, that was very polite you know, of you, by the way, was, to be like, oh, all right, here we go. That was well. That was years of my editing around it, so I understand the the editing process. Yeah, that. but uh, but you know, I realized that Storm was um, he was using the film in a way to say goodbye to all his friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he would literally, um, and I would hear bits and pieces of it at the beginning and end, you know, when wow. they weren't shooting, but, you know, he was rolling sound. And, and he would be like, you know, yeah, I'm doing this film. Roddy Bagow is the director. He's in New York. I don't know why the fuck he's not here, but I'm going to do the interview with you. Uh, but look, here, I'm dying, too. Oh, you know, man. so it was, it was it was kind of intense. Um, you know, uh, I did a lot of the interviews in New York, Mick Rock, and I went with him when we did Roger Waters. Wow. And, you know, quite a lot of them. I went Jerry Shirley, who's a drummer in Hummel Pie. Did that? Uh, yeah. Did, but, did that make it feel like it was almost like, I don't want to say meta, but like a, a, a movie within a movie, like with his kind of acknowledgement that he's, you know, might not be here for that much longer. He's vis- revisiting himself with other friends. Did you kind of have a hard time parsing that? Yeah, you know, um, I think there, you know, there's, there's, there's always the question of number one: how did this film ever get made? <laughs> how did it ever get done? Right. And the and the other one is, you know, uh, why did it take ten years to make this to get it finished? Right. And you know, it's a it's a it's a really interesting question, John, because I think uh, I realized also at a certain moment that Storm was using the film to tie our lives together longer. Wow. Because, you know, we loved being together. Yeah. You know, I, I ended up helping him produce record cover shoots in New York. Mm-hmm. So I was building fake brick walls in my loft, you know, and things like that. And <laughs> that's awesome. You know, hustling up locations like rooftops to shoot on and things like that. Right. So, you know, we, you know, our lives had kind of become intertwined in, in, in all these adventures and talking about music and things and art. And so in a really, you know, on, on my side, the emotional side of it, I realized he was, you know, he was drawing me in. He was yeah. like, here's, here's a way, you know, and I joke that he got me to work for free for him for 10 years now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty emotional, you know, and, and, but Storm was, you know, he was, he was a, a real character, a trooper to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it'd be like I would call him up and I'd say, Storm, we should interview Tom Stoppard, the playwright, because, you know, he's done this 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 play that's called Rock and Roll. And there's a character called the Piper. Mm. And I've just read it. It's clearly about Sid. Yeah. And Storm would say, I have no interest in interviewing Tom Stoppard. None, none at all, Rod. Forget it. And then I'd get a call a week later and said, we've just shot Tom Stoppard. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. So oh, you know, that's was, great. It was always, you know, with Storm as classic, you know, and, mm. um, you know, and I, and I saw him about not, not to 
jump to the end and and be melancholic and and morose about it. But this storm would laugh about this. I mean, I went to see him about ten days before he passed away because his wife said, "Storms, you know, he's he's not taking any morphine yet. He wants to be clear headed. Right? Can you come?" And so I, 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 of course, I flew out. I flew to London. We sat together for three days, and then literally, you know, you know, the last. Uh, half day I was there sitting with him, holding his hand. And I said, Storm, I don't know what brought us together, what what elements of fate, you know, uh, brought me to you. Uh, but, you know, I feel, pr- you know, thankful and proud. And and Storm just looked at me and he said, your taxi's downstairs, Roddy. Don't be so fucking melodramatic. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You know, that's, oh, that's that was you know, that was you know that was our last words together. Wow, you know, which was which was pretty amazing. Good way to remember him. Yeah, you know. absolutely. It's incredible when people are going through that kind of stuff, and and I I really think it's very a sweet sentiment what you said about keeping, you know, you guys working together longer. Because how many times like, it's it's a privilege kind of what we get to do. We're in the arts and we get to experience things in a different way. But that's so super. What a sweet way to look at it though, like. You know, this guy's got the ability to work with his friends. And when he got to, he admired you enough to be like, yeah, I want to extend our time together and let's make this awesome thing. Because, it, it, I mean, that makes it now after watching it, man, I'm starting to pick. I'm going to have to watch it again because now I'm just going to be looking for all this other stuff in, in the film and your time together. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I think um, the editor of our film, uh, Karen Skloss, who's also a co-producer, she edited my film on Storm. Mm. And, uh, you know, there was there was a uh, one scene where she started bringing in kind of more of our relationship. I'll, I'll send you a link. You can oh, watch please. that one. Thank you. She started bringing in more of Storm's interaction with me. And Storm was he had had a stroke uh, before I met him. And so he would get acupuncture every day and he'd get needles put in his head and, uh, you know, in his, in his arm and stuff. And um, I told him one day, I said, I want to film this. I want to film you getting acupuncture. And the re I had this you know, cinematic reason for it, which is that he had done a record cover for a band called gentlemen without weapons, uh, which hmm. they had, a they had a couple of hits in the, in the eight, early eighties, but it was telephone poles, you know, and people sitting on top of telephone poles going out through this field. So I had this idea, I'm going to shoot close-ups of the needles and I'm going to, you know, integrate it with that mm-hmm. footage of, of, of the telephone pole thing. And uh, Karen, our editor, you know, she found this audio snippet where Storm's, you know, basically berating me for wanting to shoot, shoot this. Like, nobody's going to want to see this, right? No one's going to see it. And I keep saying to Storm, well, you know, it'd be great to have this other kind of footage. And um, and I said to him, well, I won't shoot it if you don't want me to, Storm. And Storm said, who am I to argue with genius? <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so, you know, and so it's, it's, it's funny. I think... Um, you know, uh, you know, many of the people around Storm, when, you know, they would see us together, they thought we knew each other our entire lives, which is strange. Right. Uh, because, you know, I, I hadn't known him. I, I'd known the record covers and, you know, had the affection around that, but didn't know him personally. But we just kind of really hit it off. I mean, the, the first shoot we did, uh, we went to where they shot Wish You Were Here with the burning businessman. Oh, wow. And Storm, in a classic way, said, you know, wanted to take over. And he said, OK, Roddy you start shooting this and then pan over to me and then I'll start the interview. 
And I looked at him and I said, Storm, you, you haven't seen any of my films, but I never, ever pan in any of them. <laughs> of course, I was totally bullshit. Yeah, right, right. Loud, you know? But he was like, what? How will, I, how will they know I'm here? And I said, well, I'll, I'll, if you really want, I'll do that shot and that shot, but I don't pan the camera. <laughs> and, uh, and then the very next time we were you know, doing the next shoot, he said, okay, where do you want me to stand? What do you want me to do? And so, you know, it was, it was interesting. We had a, a quite, um, you know, close relationship after a little while. That's awesome. And then when you guys got to do those interviews together, how would you, I mean, were they different than when you would do them alone? Would, would he, would you feel like letting him lead a little bit more since he knew those, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, we wrote the questions together a okay. lot of the times for some of the people. So even if I wasn't there, he would ask the questions that I was sort of, you know, interested in from getting. Uh, but, you know, the, the main thing that we always, always talked about from day one mm. was that if we were going to do this, we wanted it to be an intimate portrait, you know, from the inside out. Right. Uh, that was our main, main goal. So with whoever it was that we interviewed, we talked about, okay, what can we maybe use to prod them, you know, to, to try and bring up a memory, maybe something they wouldn't expect. Uh, because, you know, uh, especially with rock musicians, I mean, you do a lot of interviews. Mm -hmm. There's many times where, you know, they're just saying the same thing over yeah. and over and over and over again, you know, and, and it's, you know, and especially with digital video cameras, they just blah, 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 yeah. blah, you know? So it's, it's, you know, the, the tactic was kind of, um, you know, how to, how to penetrate that. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to edit myself out agreeing with you and just go, Oh no, I don't know what you're talking about. They're great. It's going to be a quick splice. And I'm like, no, right. Roddy, All you're out of control. Jump, jump cuts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny. Um, when I, when I did my film on storm and I went to shoot Robert plant, mm. Uh, and I have this tactic when I do interviews, you know, it's when I, I, I probably shouldn't tell it's top secret, but it's, it's not really, but I, you know, I sit around and talk to the, the person, you know, and try and get to know them, not yeah. having ever met them. And Robert Plant and I, um, I can't remember how it came up, but we started talking about Tans Van Zandt, oh, nice. uh, the country singer. Yeah. Cause I love huge towns. Yeah. I'm a huge Tans Van Zandt fan. So we started talking about that for like 20 minutes. Meanwhile, I was setting up, you know, the camera and he, he looked, finally looked at that and he's like, is that a movie camera? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's not a digital camera. I was like, no, Robert, it's not. And he's like, and how much film did you bring? And I said, well, I've, I've got two rolls, Robert. I don't, I don't have much money, two rolls. And he's like, how much shooting time is that? And I said, well, they're each about 11 minutes long. So you got about 20 minutes. Wow. And he said, oh, you only want diamonds out of me then. <laughs> and, and it was amazing. The minute, you know, the minute we did the slate. Yeah. Actually, he was dead on. That's amazing. great, man. That's yeah, so it's it was interesting. Yeah. I wish I, 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 as you said that, I was like, what the hell do I do? Like, so I don't, I don't know, man. And this is probably, it's not about me, by the way, but I'm now, I'm now going to pick your brain about interviewing and stuff. Cause I've had, I loved, uh, I love having musicians on. I love having my favorite bands on because it's so, the weird thing for me is like to remember that I've been in show, but I've been doing stand up for 17 years and I've done TV and all that other stuff. Because when I get in front of people who shape my life, you know, like who's band and like, and, and, and then I get invited to things to go hang out or whatever the hell it is. It's a very like weird, weird moment, but like to get them to talk about stuff, I think just because my lack of knowledge of the music industry, because I feel like you probably have 
like you've been surrounded by it but i like comedy stand-up that kind of thing like i could shoot the shit all day but it's still music's still like this mystery to me so like i i'm very naive about like how most of it works so i'm ho- i think that gets them catch them a little bit off guard or maybe they think i'm like a make a wit you know what i mean and like and they're just trying to like they're like let's let's give the kid what he want or whatever but i have no idea yeah. like it it seems to work but i like that tactic yeah i th- I, th- I think um you know uh i was friends with joe strummer for a while before oh he passed away so and, awesome. and, you know and so i've kind of you know luck luck of the draw or how my life has strangely hmm you know, gone, um, you know, that I, you know, I started off as getting into music, playing in bands and then going into film. And then that was when I broke up my bands. I was like, I'm, I'm a filmmaker now. I'm no longer, you know? Yeah. And then strangely enough, you know, kind of the things dovetailing at the, you know, at this point in my career, you know, and I feel ve- like you said earlier, I feel extremely fortunate, right. You know, to, to, you know, films cost a lot of money, you know, and they're ridiculous. And, and most of the films that come out are just crappy. So they're a waste of money, which is a double curse. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm like, wow, I'm making this movie where I get to buy records for research. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, this is great. And, and it, and it is strange, you know, um, you know, meeting you, the, these characters, you know, the, the clash was huge, huge, uh, you know, part of my teenage life. I saw them twice, never met them. I mean, they were one of, for some strange reason there, they were already, uh, not hanging out as much as other punk bands. I met a lot of the other punk bands in LA. Wow. Uh, but then, you know, I met Joe Strummer. I met Joe later on through the art world and, and, um, that, and, and, at this huge art opening with all these celebrities and everybody you can imagine. Right. Um, uh, Joe Strummer walked in and, and it, uh, the, I'll have to ex- explain. It's the art show of Damien Hurst, who's an old friend of mine. Okay. And so, you know, it's this huge opening, all these celebrities there. Joe Strummer walks in because Joe and Damien had become friends because they live near each other. Nice. And I used to rib, rib my mate Damien saying, Oh yeah, you get to hang out with my idol just because you're a famous artist now. Yeah. God. <laughs> you know, but I literally at this opening, I went straight up to Joe and I said, Joe, I just want to say hello. I'm a friend of Damien's. Uh, and you know, and, and later that night he was DJing. He said, I'm DJing. You're coming to the party. And I was like, absolutely. And you know, I was sitting there with my friends standing around. Joe was playing reggae and, um, I hear this Roddy, Roddy, Roddy. And it was Joe and wow. he said, come on. And I, so I went behind the table, you know, this is a table with CD players. Yeah. It's like, you know, he's like, what do you want to play? I was like, let's play old reggae. <laughs> and so we were like spun old reggae CDs. Like, Oh my God. Uh, and I was just like, wow, this is kind of amazing. Right, right, so right. I, you know, and he, you know, and, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I never really talked about the clash sure. with him. Never really talked about how important he was into my life. Uh, you know, we just hung out all the time uh, until one night we were out and this Irish bar, Irish pub and, you know, Bob grew and everybody, you know, his whole entourage were around. And then yeah. everybody peeled off and it was just me and Joe at the end. And I pulled out this clash ticket from 1979. I said, Joe, will you sign this? Oh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so cool. it was like 
yeah so it was that was the one sort of starstruck moment i would say yeah man it, it is kind of funny because you really have to like like i i try i try to do the same thing too i never bring up anything about the you know uh, that I, the albums i've had the cds the concerts i've gone to anything like that and i think that's what most people i don't know sometimes i'm like sometimes i feel like people are like you're not gonna mention anything <laughs> you're not gonna talk about me at all yes and then other times i feel like they just like that you're just hanging out they they respect who you are they respect what you do and they just like you as a person but there yeah. are those times where you do have to have your window where you're like you know what we've been hanging out long enough i gotta fucking say something i gotta i gotta tell you you know like this is, yeah yeah I that, well that yeah that happened to me once uh, i'll just tell you a really quick sure. story i mean really this is the classic new york the most bizarre, surreal New York story. I mean, my friend called me up uh, and he said, hey, man, I'm doing this Howard P Harold Pinter play hmm. and uh, you want to come watch the rehearsal? We're like, my friend, a friend of mine, and we're like, yeah, hell yeah. So it's like, okay, meet me in this diner up near Lincoln Center. Uh, I'll meet you there with Chrissy. We'll walk down to the theater. We'll watch the rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And so my friend and I are there and, and we'd been out very late the night before. We were sitting there in the diner with our sunglasses and who does our friend, uh, the actor Keith Allen, walk in with? Chrissy Hind. Oh my god! <laughs> and we're god. like, and we're like, oh, that Chrissy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we go down. We go down. Watch the Harold Pinter play rehearsal, and Harold Pinter comes over. I'm like, already. I'm like, okay, this is totally weird. This right. is like a weird New York thing. Yeah. And then after they do the rehearsal, they go, oh, let's go out. Let's go have a drink. So we go across the street, and we're sitting, and nobody wants to sit next to Chrissy. Oh. I mean, she's she exudes. I don't know if you've ever met her, but no. she exudes charisma, mm. like like off the hook. Robert Plant has that. You know, few people like, but she she has a kind of really amazing presence. And everybody was scared to sit next to her. So I go, I'll sit next to her. Nice, like, you guys are crazy, right? And so we're sitting there. You know, we have a couple beers or whatever. We're just talking about stuff. And then at one point, Chrissy goes, Roddy, you know, I have a band, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like Chrissy. God. That's hilarious, <laughs> you know. But uh, and then it didn't end there. She she had to leave for the airport, and then Joe Strummer was playing at a tower in store thing. Wow. We went to that. We all hung out, and then Joe said, "We gotta go. Come on." We went back to the Gramercy Park Hotel, and they were on you know uh, late night television performing songs. So we were all sitting in the hotel, room. and I was like, "Okay, this is the weirdest day." Yeah. I've ever had in New York that no one will ever believe. Right. Oh my God, dude. It's so crazy when stuff like that happens. I, 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 I've been, you know, touring and going to New York and doing all that kind of stuff for a long time and doing stand up. And I remember my first time, uh, I got to open for Jimmy Fallon and it was right before he took over Conan. And it was one of those things where I met his family and we hung out, but like it was, and it was one of those things where I still had a part-time job. So that weekend for, for me was like, uh, Jimmy Fallon, couple other celebrity guests came, you know people other comics were coming on stage i'm introducing that you know the whole thing's going on and then monday morning i was right back behind the desk at a library i worked at like uh. what the fuck was that <laughs> like did like no one cares like i'm like hey yeah. i did i was with and i was and they're like we don't <laughs> yeah nobody, you still have to ask if you want to go to the bathroom yeah yeah no it's true yeah i know that's so yeah, I've, I had that. I teach film production. And I had that sometimes where I'd come back from shoots and I'd be like, I just shot blah, 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 blah. And they'd be like, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have to learn to be humble. And then and then I'll get I'll get friends who go like, oh, I never know. Like, I'll, they'll see me in the L.A. Times, something like that. I'm like, I didn't know you did this. And I'm like, 
you what do you like do you want me to tell you about my life or do you or nothing one or the other yeah man. like I, yeah. either i'm holding out or you're fucking like i don't want to i'm busy with my kids uh, right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah awesome um so so back to the film because i know that's what we're, we're talking about i could talk see this is the thing though i i will talk to people about anything and everything like i just want to nitpick but i also want to make sure that i'm uh getting in what you need yeah. um yeah sure yeah me yeah. too okay good man yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a film. Is a film. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's this film that you've been doing. Um, so that's awesome. So you so you did that, you got the interviews and you guys are going back and forth doing doing one or the other. Uh, do you have a particular interview in that film that stands out to you? Do you feel like like how good are you at making something and walking away from it? Because you know, you have those interviews. I'm sure there's stuff on the cutting room floor. I, I know you're going back and looking at it and editing it and wondering, man, I forgot to ask this or that. Are you like that? Or are you very much like, I did this product, it's done, I'm moving on? Oh, no. All my films are like kids tugging at my pants going, <laughs> fix me, daddy, uh, fix me. Uh, you know, I, that's it's the best it's, analogy. It's, <laughs> uh, so so I, I oh. do have a bit of that all the time. Um, the interesting thing, though, with this film you know, uh, it was very strange during all the years of, of working on it. If I had to like spot check something, you know, two minutes in or 40 minutes in or an hour in, I ended up watching it all the way through, which okay. was very, this is the first time this has happened to me wow. where, you know, I'm like, okay, I got to edit the scene and I would start working on that and I would just continue watching it. Um, so there's some, there's something that's, that's some kind of mechanism, you know, and maybe it's elusive and I didn't understand it at the time, but, um, you know, that dr draws me into it, mm -hmm. uh, differently than, than other films. I, my film on storm has a bit of that too. I, I enjoy watching that film. Right. Um, some of my films I can't watch. I just see the mistakes that I, that I knew that I was making that I just, you know, stubbornly refused to change. Um, right. But, um, you know, but this one's been very interesting for that. You know, there's there's tons of great interview stuff we couldn't use. I mean, there was a three and a half hour cut at one point. Um, wow. But there's, you know, I think, um, you know, like my film with Storm, which was interesting because both of them in some ways are kind of, you know, similar, mm -hmm. you know, having the musicians not talk about themselves right. and talk about Storm and talk about sort of the record industry and the music business when they, you know, became who they were, Led Zeppelin, yeah, whoever yeah. they were, you know, kind of w made enough of a detour where they were really forthcoming mm -hmm. with with information and, and things like that. And I, th I think in the same way, you know, talking to a lot of these people about Sid, whether it was, you know, ex-girlfriend or sister or Pete Townsend, who, you know, anybody you know, it kind of opened up that door to memory about that moment. Yeah. And, you know, and a moment that, you know, just seemed just unbelievable, you know, just, I mean, I'm, I was too young to sort of know that stuff, but, you know, when you go back and you look at art, music, culture, you know, the politics, everything, sexual revolution, drugs, everything that was going on, right. it just seems like really it's one of those moments where it was just like so expansive. Yeah so crazy um you know uh it's and it's funny because you know dealing with all the relationships like you know in the 60s like okay we were you guys did they break up or were they still together <laughs> like you know yeah yeah kind of stuff, you know so like who could it, tell 
you know, <laughs> that doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't no. matter to have us. No, no, yes. no. But that's that is funny though. When I whenever I do watch stuff like that, like I, I got hooked during the pandemic. I definitely got hooked on like watching like um all those documentaries on different decades in the 70s and then i got hooked on all the stuff in um laurel canyon and then i went into like i just i just dove into all of that music stuff and it is kind of funny because it's um i was watching a documentary that scorsese did on um oh my god i'm blanking on her name isn't it ann or ann lebowitz Is it Ann Leibowitz? Fran Leibowitz? Fran Leibowitz. Fran Leibowitz. Fran Leibowitz. I was like, wait. That's what I was thinking about. Ann Leibowitz. Yes, Fran Leibowitz. Yes. that's where it'll start. So Fran Leibowitz. But she she had a great point. And she was talking about how um, when she was a kid, she said no one ever ran up to her parents and said, uh, tell me what it was like in the 30s. And she goes, but Mm. every day when I'm on the street and I meet somebody who's young, they asked me what it was like in the sixties, what it was like in the seventies, what it was like to be a lot around that. And it's just, it's just one of those times where like, it does seem like magic and fantasy and no one knew what was going on, but everyone was just flying by to see their pants and like, like art was flourishing. Like everybody seemed to appreciate one another too. Like that was the other thing too. I don't, I don't know that maybe I'm naive about it, but I didn't see, you know, too many rivalries, but I did see a lot of fascination for other people's craft you know, in the music industry, yeah. like, oh, we were excited that so-and-so was rolling through because we had heard about them performing here, but we'd never seen them before. And, you know, and they just wanted to see what they were doing. So it was absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, they didn't, uh, the music industry didn't exist as it does now yet. Right. right? There, so it was really, you know, um, where, where did I read this recently? I read this thing that it said, Bill Graham would try and tell the Grateful Dead guys, be like, yeah, you're coming in all this money. And they're just like, oh, we just want to go home and smoke dope now. And he's like, no, but you kind of got to go on tour and, and record again. Or, you know, so I think it was a, it was a different moment. Absolutely. Right. right. Where, you know, um, you know, and, and Pink Floyd being in Abbey Road recording next to the Beatles doing Sgt. Pepper. Right. You know, while they're doing their I mean, it's kind of crazy. I mean, maybe in hindsight, mm. it's different. And then we go like, wow, that was kind of incredible but right they all seem to talk about you know kind of that it was a special thing maybe because of the multimedia cultural thing and it was you know it there was this sense of swelling of an underground you know they yeah. talked about this a lot in the 60s in london the underground and in new york the new york underground stuff happening in film you know yeah I don't know where where if underground came first from the new york underground filmmakers but you know that idea of the underground seems like uh, it cultural movement right mm-hmm. so i think you know that that's you know i mean david bowie going to watch sid yeah you know ufo club and stuff like that i mean it's pretty wild right and they had a real appreciation for sid too like so that was is there anything you got out of the making this film about sid that you didn't have before you started mm, that's interesting i think um one thing that uh i mean there's two things there's one of which is that when Sid died, they auctioned off all his belongings in Cambridge. Wow. And so, you know, they, they had his chair, you know, like a very ratty kind of easy, lazy boy chair. Right. Um, uh, you know, a bike, a couple of bikes, but not the famous bike from the bike song. A couple of things. Um, <laughs> but they, you know, but they had photographs of all these objects and then he had these tables and painting easels and things like that, where he'd extended the legs by like four inches, like hammered on these things. Wow. 
uh, and built speaker boxes. They were actually custom made little speaker boxes that he'd built, you know, hand painted and things. And one of the stories that's repeated in every, you know, article or whatnot and things like that about him was of a neighbor uh, who would take out the trash and say, oh, I would hear him banging his head on the wall in the middle of the night. Wow. And screaming like a dog, like he's crazy. Right. And then when I saw these pictures of these things, I was like, hang on, he was building stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, so, right. you know, that, that, that was like a really, you know, interesting kind of, of, you know, window yeah. to this idea of, you know, these everybody projecting onto him, right. Right. That they, the, you know, that they, they didn't really know, or they, you know, and so that was one of the things we tried to, to address is like all the hearsay. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing personally for me was going back and listening to the music super, super intensely, you know, through the, through the eyes of not of, uh, you know, 19 year old guitar player, right. But, uh, you know, film editing and director. And I was just absolutely blown away by the creativity mm. within, you know, his, his guitar playing songwriting, you know, lyrics, uh, everything it kind of it, it kind of really you know quadrupled what i thought right. of his work before um and and you know we screened the film in london we had a friends and family screening and thurston moore from sonic youth lives in london now wow. and he came he came to the film and he loved it and we were hanging out afterwards in the cafe and i was thinking i was like ah Sonic Youth, that kind of noisy guitar in the middle of a pop song. Yeah, yeah. Huh, I see, you know, so it's interesting because I started seeing all the connecting the dots, you know, between all the how all, all these musicians that love his music, right. you know, contemporary musicians even now. Um, so that was that was kind of fascinating to really intently listen, you know, even if I was just listening to beats and things like that, mm -hmm. um, being kind of blown away by his, his creativity again. Right. There's um, uh, a, something you said about, you know, the Sonic Youth and, and seeing all the connecting all the dots and stuff like that. It is. Do you find it frustrating even as a musician and plus like, you know, doing what you've been doing now and interviewing these people when you talk to non-musicians or, or people today? And, I, not, and not to, like there's great music today and stuff like that, too. But I do feel like there's a lack of interest in connecting those dots. Do you do you think that's correct or because like not with the musicians, but I mean, with fans, like they have no interest in, you know, how you're, how their guy today got to be who he is and maybe what his influences are. And I find that eternally frustrating. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's partly, um, you know, you probably do live comedy shows so you yeah. have that immediacy, right? right? I think it's partly, you know, how, how culture has shifted, you know, just that, you know, in, in my years, you know, that we would play records to each other mm. and, you know, and then study the record covers and read the liner notes and trade records. Right. I think that kind of social structure, um, you know, is, is radically, radically shifted with, you know, thumbnail, iPod, audio, digital files. You right. Know? I mean, in, 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 in film, you know, you started having that when you had the director's commentary all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, so it became like a consumer kind of thing as opposed to a discovery. Yeah. Like you were saying, um, you know, like if you if you watch a film and and I always have to detune my film students around this, you know, if you watch a film, you should try and analyze it or talk about it with your friends and pick it apart and think about other films that are similar 
or how they're different or, right. you know, how other films from other cultures are different and things like that. But then, you know, we, we slid in society slid into this consumerism, you know, which was just like, Oh, I hear the director talking about this and, you know, I get it. You know, yeah, and, yeah, that's yeah. It. and it sort of stops. I mean, my, my favorite commentary, which I've played in classes sometimes is uh, Pee Wee and Tim Burton did a commentary for the first Pee Wee movie. And it's, it's just incredible because yep. it's, it's a, because it sounds like it's a cassette tape in a kitchen cassette tape player. <laughs> and it's just, and it's just, you know, Pee Wee going, Hey Tim, do you remember that scene? That yep. was really great. I was really good at it. And Tim's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I thought that was, for me, that was the, the top shelf of, of commentary. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's a good, I, I never really thought of it that way, but that's a really, really good point is that people now have opinions injected in themselves and they don't, they're like, yeah, no, I get it. That's about it. That's a wrap. They don't want to self-analyze themselves. I think, yeah, I think the, but, you know, the live situation with wh whether it's live comedy or, you know, live shows, that's where people start feeling it a little bit. They mm -hmm. start feeling, you know, the person next to them, yeah. you know, and, and sweatiness and, and laughing together. And I think that's why movie theaters never died, you know, through all the permutations of yeah. home video systems and whatever, you know, right. you know, streaming certainly changed, but that was a very particular moment. But, you know, I think they like, you know, we, as a species, we probably like to be together yeah. uh, with strangers experiencing similar things. And so I think, you know, with, with music in particular, you know, um, it only exists. I mean, maybe that's why these, these big tours still boom, you know, like Lollapalooza sure. was probably the first one, you know, that that's the moment where people are like, Hey, you know, and certainly rave cultures did that too. Uh, but I think, you know, yeah, the consumption of the music and, you know, I think um, I'm not anti-piracy, anti any of that stuff, but just, you know, it became yeah. a different thing. Totally. And I think, and I think, you know, we haven't figured it out, you know, how that's affected us, you know, inside. Yeah. Really. And we're all striking about it right now. So it's like, it's still, it's still one of those things that's like ever changing. And also we know we're getting screwed somehow. We just don't know how. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that's the thing about comedy shows too, dude. Like I, I have the hardest time explaining to people that it is not the same when you're live and you're out in the cut, like when I'm touring and I'm out in the country and I'm either, whether I'm in the Midwest or if I'm in, I mean, there's some places I go where, you know, I, I know what I'm talking about. If it's political or anything like that, I know what it's going to get. And that's the risk you take. And that's fine. But nine times out of 10, everybody's chill. Everybody's happy. Everybody's looking to laugh. Even if they disagree with you, if it's funny, they're looking to have a good time, but because of how it's, kind of processed in every different form of media outlet, like whatever people just think they have an idea of what goes on without actually going. And I'm like, yeah, no people we're all, everybody's fine. Like we're all kind of getting along when we're out there. If you're going to a comedy club, yeah. you're looking to have a good time. If you're, yeah. if you're sitting at home scrolling, you're looking to hate something. And <laughs> I, I, I have to, I have to be a hundred percent transparent. I'm terrified of comedy shows. Are you really? Yes. Oh. Because, well, I'm, it's, no, I'm, I'm not saying it out of ignorance. No, no, I, no. You know, and my wife can testify to this. <laughs> Every freaking time I've gone to a comedy show, mm -hmm. I'm the one that gets picked out. Oh, no. <laughs> like, and, I, you know, when I was dating my future wife, I told her that. She's like, "Let's, I want to see this comedy show. And I was chasing her. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but I just got to tell you this, you know, this, you know, and of course, first five minutes. Hey, where are you guys from? <laughs> 
I don't know, I've got a blinking oh, light on yeah. my head. No matter you know, where you're like, sitting, they're like, in the back, corner row. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you're like, there's no lighting. Uh, How could you see me? Yeah, um, but, I, you know, but I grew up, you know, I grew up in L.A., you know, going to see the Richard Pryor live at Sunset oh Strip films, all that stuff. I mean, that was my, yeah. you know, that was my generation. Yeah, we, and those were amazing. Did you yeah. hang out at the comedy store when you were younger? I did not. Okay. I've been there. I've been there a Since, little bit, yeah. you know. Yeah, but I didn't hang out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I was in the whiskey and the Starwood and. Oh, nice. All the clubs down the street. Roxy. Oh, that's yeah, cool, that man. was that was kicking off. That was kicking off then, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's another cool scene, too. Like, I, I love the combinations of like everybody that was kind of hanging out at the time, because when I, I moved, I moved to L.A. and I was there for a little bit. And my first time at the comedy store, I was brought there by Carl above. Do you know, Carl? He passed away a few. <laughs> he was one of the original outlaws of comedy. He was Sam Kinison's best friend. Um, huh. and yeah. Alan Steven, who was another one at like those three were like the original outlaws of comedy. So when I got out there, I'd been friends with Carl for a long time and, uh, I'd open for him for a bunch, uh, when he lived uh, in New York. So I got out there and I let him know. And he's like, he's like, have you been to the comedy store yet? And I was like, no. And he's like, midnight, be there. You come with me and Alan. And I was like, <laughs> and I, and I went and it was, it was a blast. I mean, just going with those two, it's like going with two Kings. You know what I mean? Like they, they yeah. basically, you know, and, uh, we did some time and we had a, we had a really, really fun time there. And, uh, Brody Stevens was like, hang, like he was still alive. So he was hanging around, um, all these other dudes, but then they just started talking about the musicians that used to hang out at the comedy store back in the day, because that, where were you going to go when you were fit? You know what I mean? Like you would either go to the yeah. clubs to, to watch those guys play, or you would go to the comedy store and hang out and all these different bands and shit. And I'm like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, I want to go back and, and visit and like hang out around that time because no one's really doing too much of that today. Like, I don't think. Yeah, no, I, I listen, I have vivid memories. You know, I mean, that was the moment where I was hanging out, you know, on Sunset and stuff going to mm. all the shows. I have vivid memories of, you know, driving down Sunset or, you know, with my friends or whatever. Massive lines outside the whiskey, right? Yeah. Massive lines outside of the Roxy and massive lines outside the comedy store. Right. I mean, it was like this, it was like the same thing happened. You know, it was all, yeah. you know, LA, LA was a very interesting time then, you know, but it was definitely, everybody was hanging out at the rainbow and sunset marquee or wherever. Right. To, yeah. To I hit up there. all those places when I lived out there. Like I was just like in awe of, and my friends would be like, would you stop looking around? Like, <laughs> like no, but you understand. Like, you, like I've read about these places in books. Um, did <laughs> yeah. you, I wanted to ask you when you were going from a musician to directing and stuff like that, did you have trouble switching hats at the time? Like what, what you know? No, you know, it was strange because, um, you know, uh, I'm going to sound like an arrogant musician, but it was, you know, the bands I was in were kind of like my band, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it was like, I was writing the songs, I was singing, I was a guitarist. Nice. Uh, and I shouldn't say that because the other, the other guys were always great, mm -hmm. but, you know, I jokingly say that now, but it was really strange because, you know, I remember being in bands and you'd, I'd show up and I'd be like, Hey, I wrote this great song. We got to learn it. And, you know, the drummer just had a fight with his girlfriend, and, right. you know, bass players hungry. And you're like, no, this is a really great song. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like dragging, dragging a pile of dead bones along with you, you know, mm -hmm. in, in terms of that. And so it was interesting because when I started making films at first, I made films with only a few people, but then once I started doing bigger productions, you know, it was a crew, small crew, you know, five maybe, mm -hmm. but it was a very similar kind of feeling I had all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you've got to convince these other four people or six people to follow you over the waterfalls, you know, to trust you and, right. and, and, and get them all 
kind of singularly focused on making something else, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think the big, the big thing also I realized eagle wise, which maybe I learned from the band stuff was that, you know, to trust all the other people on a film crew. So, you know, it wasn't like one of these directors, you know, just telling people what to do. I, I was like, man, you'd never work with a great drummer and bring them in and go like, Hey, can you play this? You know, <laughs> you just, just wouldn't happen. Right. And so like I, when I, you know, started working with film crews, I was like, why would I tell the camera person how to, where to put the camera? Right. Or how, you know, I, I pick up the person as a camera person cause I like their work and I love what they do. And that's, you know, you know, maybe like a jazz, you know, those jazz bands used to do that, but you just go like, they're going to make this better than I would make it. That's smart. You know? And so, and so it was interesting in terms of that. Also, similarly, the dragging the dead bones, you know, <laughs> over over the waterfalls too. You know, there's a bit of that in filmmaking. Yeah. Especially, you know, independent filmmaking, you know, which is, uh, you know, always difficult, always, you know, uh, tiring and always you're strapped. Mm -hmm. Right. Did you run into any of that with this? Well, this, yeah, this was self-finance pretty much. I mean, the, we started it with a little bit of money from Storm's widow. She, she said, I want to keep this going. A production company, uh, believe media in LA came in and helped us a bit in the beginning. Uh, but it was, it was done for nothing, you know, over right. all these years. Uh, we weren't backed by any, uh, music publishing companies or any record labels. Uh, it was all self-finance until Mercury studios came in who they're under universal, but, um, you know, they came in at the end, they, and we had complete autonomy, complete control. All the music that's in it is my choice, um, gonna which ask. is great. That's awesome. So, yeah, I was going to yeah, ask so how much we, control you had over that. Yeah, we had apps. I had 100% control. Beautiful. I mean, there was some compromises I had to make with some images where, you know, some photographers wanted 10 grand for two seconds or something. But, wow. you know, but, but, you know, everyone was really generous. And in the end, um, I feel fortunate that, mm -hmm. you know, that we had this kind of support, but they've all been very supportive. David, Nick, Rogers, Camp, yeah. you know, uh, you know, the Rick Wright estate, everyone. Do you, Sid's estate. Do you find the same obstacle? So what, what would be your biggest obstacle in getting like, like you got all those guys to come and, and do the film and I'm sure it, like anything else you have to get through managers or agents and stuff like that. Was there an obstacle in particular with this one? Did you find it? Or do you find when it's a, somebody like a Sid Barrett, somebody that you're doing it about people are more eager to jump on it. No, I mean, with, with Pink Floyd, there's always layers of, you know, issues potentially. Right. right? I mean, I think I, I was fortunate in that everyone liked my film on storm. Mm -hmm. I think that was probably the first kind of, uh, you know, um, helpful kind of position. And then the fact that storm was involved in the film. Yeah. Uh, opened kind of the door. So we were, we were kind of lucky, but you know, um, there, there's always the possibility that, you know, something could happen and, and, and maybe the thing would get derailed. But, um, you know, I was, I was willing to try and do whatever I could to get it done. Cause mm -hmm. I thought, you know, we got to get this film out in the world, but in the end, everyone saw it, loved it, yeah. you know, gave their approvals. Um, so, so we were very fortunate in terms of that because that's one of the first questions. How did this ever get yeah. made? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, I'm glad stuff like that. I mean, uh, are you one of those people, like, do you watch other documentaries or are you like, I do. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, because I feel like there's a lot of that stuff. Um, 
being made now and I can't get enough of it. I want to know more yeah. about it. Like everybody's kind of, and I hate to say it, but you know, everybody's getting older. People are kind of fading away and, and, you know, disappearing. And I don't want to lose those stories. So guys like yourself and I got to see, um, um, I went to the premiere of, uh, the Carlin documentary cause I'm, uh, close with, uh, uh, mm. Kelly, um, and Michael Bonfiglio and Judd Apatow did that one. And I mean, you guys can make these by the way, as long as you like, I'm like one of those people, like I'm a Marvel nerd. So like, you know, there's not, they're, they're like, Oh, we had to cut it down from four. It was too, no, it wasn't keep it going. Like I want to yeah. still, like make them as long as possible, but I, I like, you know, I have a great appreciation for people who can take these stories and, and, you know, channel them into a, a clear, um, you're very, you're very generous. I have the opposite take. Oh, no <laughs> way. Having watched a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you, man. I get it. <laughs> no, I mean, I was, I was, I'm half joking. I, you know, I think <laughs> I, I, uh, I always say like, not everybody deserves a movie. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That then, yeah, I get then, that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I think, um, I think, you know, as, as technology has shown us, it's too easy to do this in some ways. So, yeah, yeah. um, you know, but, uh, no, but I have to joke about that, but, you know, I think, yeah, you're right though. It's like, how, you know, how long should a film be or how long right. should a film take to make about someone's life? Yeah. I mean, you know, like it's complex. It it's, is. And there's know. diary. I mean, it depends on what they leave behind too. If you can find, yeah. you know, uh, diary entries, notes and journal, like all that other stuff, you're, you know, it's a lot. I mean, I don't even yeah. know how you keep all that in your head and, and go through it. And I mean, it must be like a puzzle. Um, it absolutely is that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is a, it is a jigsaw Tetris, torturous anxiety puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love describing art that way. It is, a, it is an arduous <laughs> process. Uh, I wish I was a fucking banker. Uh, no, just, um, <laughs> no, but just, you know, but this was, you know, it's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you nailed it on the head earlier. You know, it's a privilege yeah. to do it. I feel very fortunate. I'm just, you know, uh, I'm just happy. It seems like this film's hitting at the right moment. It I is. Because I always, I always feel like I make great movies, but they come out at the wrong time. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe this one's going to be the one. Yeah, you know, man. I'm going to tell everybody it about it. I can't. I mean, it's it's phenomenal, dude. Um and uh, I'm going to ask you, I've realized that we're up in an hour now. So I'm going to ask you the three questions. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, holy shit, it flew. Um, so uh, if you can go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would give, uh, that would help you today? Wow. That's, that's, you know, I should have expected that question. It's my uh, softball it, question. So the other two. It, it's, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, that's, that's. That's interesting. How long do I have before I answer? I would say, I would say, I would say, I mean, one thing I would say is no regrets. Nice. Never have regrets. Uh, follow the winding weird trajectory because you don't know where it's going to go. Love that. One thing is, one thing is no regrets. And that's kind of a mantra my friends and I have. Oh, that's beautiful, dude. That's nice that you share it with other people too. Um, Second question is what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are now? Ooh. What had to end? Ah. Well, I was working for an artist. This mm. is this is the good question. And it was <laughs> amazing. We worked three days a week. Okay. Uh 10 uh 12 to 10 at night. 
I was paid very well because it was the end of the art world in the 90s where artist assistants could get paid very well. Nice. Uh, and then Black Friday happened. <laughs> and, then, and then one day this artist who, you know, we're, we're very good friends and I've come full circle to this. He said, I'm closing the studio. I'm going to Bali. Oh, wow. So, uh, so literally, um, you know, and he said, you can have my designer chairs, whatever you want out of, out of the house. But uh, so I went from, you know, having this existence of being in the art world and hanging out and, you know, having a decent amount of money and just being like, man, I'm in the center of it. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, studio's gone. Uh, and strangely enough, uh, that was when I applied for a teaching job for filmmaking and I went back to film. Oh, nice. So, you know, that was, and then lo and behold, you know, 30 years later, here we are. Wow. That's great. So, dude. yeah. Um, and the last question ties into the show. So if this is a genuine dystopia more so than it is now, and, uh, you wake up and you find out it is, uh, everyone's last day on earth. What is happening? Is it, uh, do you think it's like, uh, economic collapse, climate change, aliens, uh, zombie invasion? What would be your perfect end of the world scenario? And how would you want to go out? What would be your epic death? <laughs> oh, God. That is, okay, that is a doozy of a question. I'm sure everybody says that, right? They probably go like, mm. what? Uh, it's, it's, I love that it's uh, become a staple. So I'm, I'm going to keep running with it. Uh, you know, I love dystopic future movies. Yes. Me too. So I would tell you, you know, I would probably have to reference those in my version of the answer mm. because I, you know, maybe this dovetails full circle. My father got me into films when I was very young, taking me to see, taking me to see the Poseidon Adventure, nice. Planet of the Apes, Towering Inferno, mm. <laughs> Earthquake. I saw Earthquake in the uh, Cinerama Dome with shake a vision oh, or no whatever way. it was at the time oh, where the chairs shook that's so, so cool. you talk about a dystopic future uh that was it so maybe maybe uh watching a movie nice oh nice all and right that's, that's that's it just be like a dystopic future movie though however you are the first one to say watching a movie and i really like that a lot that is fantastic. You know what I love now? I'm picturing you in a theater watching a movie and like, but you've got the 3D glasses on or whatever. And like a meteor takes out the side of the building, but you still think you're like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. awesome, dude. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate your time and, and you coming on. And is there anything you want me to plug? Anything you want to, anything, any other projects you got coming up that you're looking no i mean the the only thing i'd the only thing i'd say is it's amazing because they've extended our theatrical run through september beautiful which is absolutely bonkers uh you know for a movie nowadays yeah it's really the the art houses have really picked it up awesome so that's that's pretty great congratulations dude i'm really happy for you and it's a great film and and thanks for letting me see it you know uh at home while i'm not when i wasn't feeling so well (laughs) okay great appreciate it yep hang on backstage i'll be right back Dystopia tonight.